Yeah, starting at verse 1. Greetings from Peter. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and our Saviour. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. Growing in faith. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvellous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. <laughs> These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those who God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the internal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Mm. I've said the wrong thing, but... Uh. <laughs> Glory to God! <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so what I'm going to... Dig into 2 Peter chapter 1 just in a few moments, um, but the title I've been given um, this morning is uh, The Power of Holi Holiness. Sorry, this is my voice breaks. Um, the Power of Holiness. So who loves holiness? <laughs> yeah, mixture. Um, what, what, what kind of um, you know, things come to mind when we think about holiness? Being set apart, yeah, doing the right, doing the right, going in the right way, yeah. Well, I don't know if we're that excited about holiness. <laughs> so I hope this morning that you are inspired 
and also that this just equips each one of us to really know all that God is, all that he's done, and then also what that implies and the implications of that for our lives. Um, we're at a phase of, in our journey as a church, um, as I've been sharing really since the turn of the year, of really moving into a phrase of really wanting to grow and equip us all to really carry the presence of God it, when we gather, but also into our daily lives. And what I want to share this morning is that holiness is so beautiful and powerful, but also transformative as the Lord sends us, sends us out. Um, Let's back up. So to give a little bit of context, um, whenever we choose a word or a title for the Lord, we're always taking something human and putting that onto God to try and understand who he is as eternal and uncreated and, and then trying to understand that through our created, finite human lenses. Make sense? So when God discloses himself in uh, Exodus 3 to Moses, uh, he gives himself the title, I am who I am. So he wasn't saying, I am like this or I am like that. He's saying, whatever description, whatever name you have, I am trumps it all. I define every other name and every other description because of the very nature of the fact that he is God. Does this make sense? So then, um, if you look then at how the Lord describes himself and what he desires from us, his people, we would then turn maybe next to Leviticus 19. I mean, you naturally would, wouldn't you? You'd turn next to Leviticus 19. But anyway, in verse 2, Leviticus 19, um, the Lord says to his people, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. I'm holy. And my desire is that you shall be holy. Now, holiness, as we just heard, um, what does that imply? And if any of us were in primary school or something, you'd put the word holy and then have one of those word clouds that gather around it and you throw stuff up there. Yeah, Sarah would. Uh, you throw stuff up there. Well, what would you throw up there around that? Cleanliness. Oh, you're on fire. Yeah, other people are allowed as well. <laughs> Cleanliness, purity. Pardon? Honesty. Honesty. Obedience. Purity. Yeah, it's, yeah, brilliant. Well, all these things refer to this whole sense of holiness and how the Lord is set apart and different and then calls us as his people to be set apart and different. But if I was adding to that word cloud, again, taking God on his terms, not on our terms, what I wanted to do was give content to him who is set apart and holy by looking at how he refers to himself through the Old Testament, first of all. And the Lord gives himself seven descriptions through the Old Testament. And they're all preceded by Jehovah, which is what they refer to him, or we might sometimes say as Lord. And then he gives himself seven titles that give content to who he is in his nature and his character. So if we're trying to find a kaleidoscope of meaning, I'm going to draw on those and then look at them in the light of Jesus. Um, so the first one I'm going to share is, um, and some of us might know this, some of us may not, but in uh, Exodus 17, the Lord refers to himself as Jehovah Nissi. 
which means the Lord's our refuge, or sometimes translated as our banner, the one we come under and find shelter. And in that context, you remember the Moses is lifting up his hands, there's a big battle going on. When Moses prays, they win. When he doesn't pray, they lose. There's a sermon. <laughs> and, and the Lord says, no, I am your banner, the one under whom you can find shelter and refuge and safety. Uh, second one, Jehovah. Should we do this, Finn? Jehovah. Yeah, any Maverick City, guys. Um, and this is where Isaac is to be sacrificed. Do you remember? In accordance with what the Lord said. And at the, at the 11th hour, just before the knife comes down, the Lord provides and discloses one of his, one of his nature, uh, one of the aspects of his nature is being Jehovah Jireh, our provider in Genesis 22. Third one. Exodus 15. Jehovah Rapha, our healer, I am the Lord who heals you. It's not just an add-on that he does. This is intrinsic to his nature. When you draw near to him, you get refuge, you get provision, and you get healing because this is who he is. Fourth one. Don't we need this in our world today? Jehovah Shalom, our peace. It's not just, you know... Kicking it all off, putting your soft clothes on and putting Netflix on to find peace. Being with him who intrinsically is peace is where his peace falls upon us that passes our understanding. Next one, we love this as our church. Jehovah. Come on, let's just give that some, shall we? Jehovah. Yeah, come on. Which means either the Lord our way or our shepherd, the one who leads us forward. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me on the way beside still waters. Um, next one, Jehovah Sid Canoe. Oh, yeah. Been expecting that one? <laughs> With a T, silent T, Sid Canoe. It's probably not pronounced right, but um, anyway, some may know better. But it means the Lord is our righteousness. None of us are right before God. But he is our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, uh, verse 6. The one that helps us be right with God and reflect his right, just, pure, holy nature. Uh, and finally, the seventh one, Jehovah Shema. Our ever-present light, Ezekiel 48, 35. The one who never leaves nor forsakes us. The one who is our light, that whenever, whatever darkness we're facing, he brings light and scatters shadows. Now, if that gives content to him who is holy, don't you think we should be excited about letting the world know about who he is? I mean, how on earth could you possibly go on without following him? Now, how does this play out in the one who is the exact representation of the Father's being? Hebrews 1 verse 4. The one who, the writer of Colossians said, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Bishop Ruth was saying that our challenge is to make the invisible visible. Well, God has disclosed his nature and made his invisible nature visible in the person of Jesus. He is the last word 
as Hebrews 1 verse 1 says. Uh, So let's think about this. Jehovah Nissi, where do people find refuge around Jesus? Well, you remember that awesome story where the woman's caught in adultery. It's not really awesome, it's terrifying. But when everybody's gathered round to destroy her and stone her to death, what does Jesus do? He lifts up a banner. He finds a way through. And she's released to go in peace and to sin no more. He's a refuge. Um, Jehovah Jireh, we might have loads of stuff. How does Jesus provide? Everyone all right out there? I mean, if you're okay, then that's fine. But I'm excited if I'm short of food. I know the one who multiplies. What, and he does it a few times, doesn't he? 5,000 and 4,000 and again on 4,000. He just does it. Well, he's the one who, when we run out of wine at a wedding, saves the shame of the host and you know, fills gallons of purification jars with water. And when they draw it out, it's the finest wine you could ever find. Jesus, the representation of the Father, our provider. Healer. Yeah, I mean, just all the time, isn't it? All the time. But what, one of the ones I just, I just find so moving is when it's not even requested or asked for. Or, um, you know, think about the woman, woman with the issue with blood. Jesus isn't even aware of it. But the nature of who he is, the nature of God, his holiness the, one, the woman who was treated as unclean in that society that prized cleanliness simply reaches out, touches his cloak, power goes out of him, and 12 years of menstrual bleeding is healed in that instant, and he restores in the community. That's, isn't it just stunning? Shalom, peace. I mean, don't you love the story of the man who was demonized? And he was so demonized um, in Gerasene that they wouldn't let him near anybody and he destroyed everything and he destroyed himself. He's naked, ripping everything apart, but he encounters Jesus and what happens? They come back to him, demons are expelled and he's clothed and in his right mind, walking in peace, restored to who he, who he was called to be. Jesus, rah. The shepherd, the way, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the one who looks over his people and says they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus who became our righteousness. The one who was without sin himself and yet was, was, became for us the righteousness of God. Our Sidkenu, our righteousness. And Jesus, our Shammah the ever-present one, the light of the world, the one who promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this is the God that we have. This is the holy God who has disclosed himself, the uncreated, infinite, eternal God who's disclosed himself to us. So, isn't that good? (laughs) But it gets better than that. And here's, in the context of that, I'd like to turn to our passage and just think about, uh, think about uh, what Peter is writing um, in this particular context. So Peter's writing to a church probably much more under pressure than we are. 
We've got our challenges in the 21st century in the Western world, but these guys were getting arrested, they were getting flogged, they were getting stoned, they were getting persecuted, and Peter is writing to them to strengthen them. And he says, Simon Peter, and I'm going to read a different version to Felicities, but I was loving that one. Uh, But Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Someone who is serving Jesus with his whole life and has been sent on an assignment to declare the kingdom through his ministry. He's writing to those who have received the faith as precious as ours through the Sid Canoe righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know, we cannot receive anything apart from what Jesus has done. We know that, don't we? It's all about him, and we're going to celebrate that in broken bread and wine uh, in a few minutes at the end of our service today. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, we like that, don't we? We like grace. We like peace. Do we like abundance? We like all that stuff, don't we? How does it come? How does it come? May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is the power of holiness in our lives. It's not an evening with Netflix that gives us grace and peace and abundance. It's the knowledge of him that brings to us peace and abundance that lifts us out of this world. So when we are going through something, as we fix our eyes on him and press in for more knowledge of who he is or remember who he is, that's when we receive from him the outflow of the river of life or the outflow of his nature into our lives, which is grace and peace. You know, we sing a song from time to time, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his beautiful face, and then what happens? The things of the earth grow faintly dim in the light of his glory and grace. And isn't that our challenge on a Thursday morning when the children are difficult at school? Because you're a teacher, I was just going to say. Not <laughs> or, or when we're at work or whatever, when we're at home, is to keep the gaze of our hearts on his face, on Jesus, in conscious awareness of who he is. And then as we gaze into him and, and dwell in his presence, then he equips us with grace and peace for the trials of this world. Okay, do you want it to get better? It gets even better. Verse three. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. We seem to have lost this from the screen, but this is, which is okay, but 2 Peter verse, verse three. His Divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Let me ask you an honest question for a minute. Who sometimes feels, man, I'm struggling to cope with life? Right? What I'm not going to say now is to make us feel guilty. What I'm trying to proclaim to you is the written word of God that says that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And my issue is when I go into autopilot and I take my eyes off him and I don't receive his power for what lies before me. But his power emanating and radiating from his presence has provided all that you and I need for life, 
Now let's remember that our lives are probably less hard than they were when this was being written to these guys. So it, whatever we face, whatever's going on in our world, I think is probably slightly less difficult than these guys were facing. But, but he really, when he says life, he means life. His divine power has given everything we need for life and for godliness. To reflect who he is in the world that we're living in from his divine power. How do we receive that? We receive his divine power through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So you can get some impartation, you can get a fire tunnel and all that, but at the end of the day, which we love and believe in, at the end of the day, this is about personally pressing in for the knowledge of him. When all is said and done, it's about pressing forward to see his face from which, when we behold him, he, he then is able to release his nature and his divine power into our lives. Through the knowledge of him who has called us by, and I'm going to use Felicity's phrase, his own glory and excellence. So he chose you and he chose me and he chose us all in Christ before anything was created. And by his glory and his excellence, he's made a way for us to become his children forever and ever and ever. And the way he's made a way is through his son, Jesus Christ. Thus, verse 4, he has given us through these things, his glory and his excellence, his precious and very great promises. Now, sometimes in, the, in our church, we will sing a lot about his promises. His promises are yes and amen. His promises are wonderful, aren't they? I sometimes occasionally think to myself, do we actually know what his promises are? I mean, the Bible is full of promises. God's pledge to us, and remember, he's the one who keeps covenants and is faithful and never lets us down. His pledges to us about what he is releasing into our lives because he loves us. But if we forget, then I go back to the seven disclosures of his nature, which are really disclosures that are not only telling us who he is, but telling us how we benefit in response. So I think to myself about his very great and precious promises. Refuge, thank God, thank God. Provision, praise be to you. Healing, thank you, Lord. Away when I don't know where to go. A shepherd who watches over me. Ever-present help. Light in darkness. Righteousness when I've, when I've you know, not done things right and messed up and, and sinned again. This is what his promises are that flow from who he is and, and we benefit from as disclosures of his nature and character to us. Does this make sense? So he's given us these precious and very great promises. And I'm not restricting it to those seven, but helping us just give content to these promises rather than, I, I don't know, sometimes I go like, oh, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your promises. And I'm thinking, what have you promised? <laughs> I, it just, you know, it then leads me back to what, he's pro what his promises is not actually about us. The promise is him. The promise is him. So we benefit, but the promise is him. The promise is you get me and I am everything and I am enough. 
And I'm going to give content to that, so refuge and provision and heat. But I am, I am who I am, and that's all you need. And finally, sometimes I, I wake up in my life and I think, yes, you are all I need, and receive all that I am, and all that I am in response to all you, who you are. Thus, he's given us through these things his precious and very great promises, so that through them, his promises, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust. Now, let's just think about what that means for a minute. It doesn't mean that we escape the world and withdraw from it, because that wouldn't make sense with everything else that Jesus commanded us. He's told us to go and make disciples. He's, he's commanded us to be in the world, but not of it. He sent us out to be light and, uh, in the world and salt of the earth, all those things. But to escape the worldly and sometimes demonic systems that are at play, causing corruption to societies and peoples and, uh, and families. And he's saying, through my promises, you are able to escape the corruption that is in the world. How do we escape the corruption? How do we go into an environment where we feel like it's polluting me rather than I'm polluting it? It's really about remembering and retaining the awareness of his presence and of who he is in that context. So you can have a bucket of sick thrown on you, but nothing changes. <laughs> you know, whatever. That's sometimes how it feels, isn't it? I walked into a you know, and I've had three showers now and I'm still stinky. Um, you know, you can walk into that, but it's actually, it's actually the awareness of who he is and his promises to us about who he is that enable us to go, huh, let me take another bucket of sick because it doesn't affect me inside because I am a recipient of his provision, his refuge, his kindness, his ever-present help, and here I am. And then I can stand and begin to go, okay, I see you're sick, and I raise it with love. I see your gossip, and I raise it with integrity. I see your hate, and I, I raise it with blessing. I see your bitterness, and I raise it with mercy. This makes sense, because of who he is within us. It gets better. And we may become participants of his divine nature. Participants of his divine nature. Here's the thing. It's all about God. When we wake up and realize it's all about God, we realize he's made a way for us in Jesus to come into awareness of who he is in our lives and his saving work. But not only that, as we come into that awareness, he shares his nature with us and we become participants so we're moved beyond even remembering what his promises are to even coming into that awareness of I am in your presence and you are now changing my nature so that I can begin to be a refuge for those around me I can begin to be provision I can begin to be healing by my my, who I am being infused with your presence and then bringing that to the situation that I'm in. Participants of his 
divine nature. And that's the power of holiness. See, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is so wonderful. Sorry, I said that and it didn't sound like I was diminishing that. Jesus is wonderful and he's the one who if you touch his coat, you get healed of 12 years of bleeding. But Jesus also has shared his divine nature with us for the purposes of sending us out in the world to grow the kingdom so that when our coat gets touched, healing can flow out. When our lives come into contact, we provide refuge. When our lives come into contact with people, then righteousness can be released. Does this make sense? Let me illustrate it a little bit. Um, uh, Three or four of our youth have been fasting at school uh, on a Wednesday. I know many of us have been fasting um, on Wednesdays, particularly through this season of 40 days. And um, one of them was saying to me that they've been struggling to talk to uh, their friends about Jesus. Anyway, so these guys are fasting and not going into the canteen at lunchtime, um, but choosing to, to stop, you know, to, to not eat. Choosing holiness, essentially. Anyway, what's happened is it's provoked loads of questions for their friends. And what's happened then is their friends are asking, what's motivating you? What, what about this? And then they said, oh, it's been amazing. We were able to tell all the stuff about Good Friday and what happened to Jesus. Then we told them about Easter Sunday and then a bit about him ascending into heaven. A holy life, it's the power of holiness, provokes, provokes questions. Me and um, my two sons went on a, uh, I was going to say a mission trip, went on a, uh, it was a mission to buy a new keyboard. And uh, it was um, from Brighton. Um, and we went to a musician's place. In fact, Jacob, could we just turn this off a minute? Just the, the, uh, the thing, is that right? Because I want to tell you the story, but I don't really want it to beam out in case our friends...